Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you, Richard? Doing well. Got some grass mowed today, and you may, if you're lucky, you may see some of that up on the Instagram account sometime soon. <laughs> we, we like to spoil uh, our fans with... <laughs> <laughs> with some of the some of the crazy things that we're up to, like yard work, some of, some of the most exciting stuff that you could possibly imagine: <laughs> a riding lawnmower going in circles. It's like NASCAR, but with more action. Yeah, and less roll cages. Well, this week we actually are going to be doing something I find to be very exciting. We are going back to our history of comic book movies. We're going to be finishing up the year 2014. And unlike the first half that we did in uh, the previous uh, two weeks previous episode, uh, we've seen most of this half of the films. Yes, and we've kind of divided them accordingly, Yeah, knowing that some of the more popular ones, the ones that people are more familiar with, the ones that we like more, would be maybe glued together in a, in a different episode from all the nonsensical ones. I won't say nonsensical ones, but the disconnected other ones. Let's call them the other ones. Yeah, the, the, the disconnected masses that are not, not um, cohesive, necessarily. Yeah. Um, now, just to remind our listeners, or... More specifically, to to indoctrinate our new listeners that are not familiar with this particular section of our podcast. When we talk about comic book movies, we are talking about movies based on comic books. But what we mean by that is that the uh, original source material had to have been a comic book. It could have been a book previously, just as long as it was in a, a written book-like format first. Now, we're not dealing with comic strips, just comic books and graphic novels. So the movie Annie came out in 2014 also, but that was based on a comic strip. Uh, so we won't be really going over that particular film. We also uh, aren't going to be discussing films that are not in English. Uh, nor will we generally be discussing any film based on a comic that was not in English, at least not unless it was translated to English before the film was released. So we've talked a little bit about that, like Snowpiercer coming out in the previous year was based on a French comic book and was originally released overseas before the English translation was uh, brought to us. And then it was released in the United States theaters which is kind of a weird thing. So I didn't originally include it in our database, but then I had a change of heart and went ahead and put it back in because it sort of counts. <laughs> kind of. Kind of fits, you know. Yeah, depending upon how you look at it. And plus, it's Chris Evans, and I, and I will always give Chris Evans a pass uh, in terms of being in any database that I I, I put together. All right. Got to keep his, his uh, uh, numbers high. Right. We got we to gotta make sure, even though he's... Not at the top of the list. I actually saw uh, an article posted saying, ah, Chris Evans is now the person with the most parts in comic book movies. And, and I, 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 re I responded very politely that, no, that is not true. <laughs> there are people that have had more uh, than him significantly. Now, if you're talking about a marquee actor in a prominent role, then yes, but you didn't qualify. You just said an actor that was in multiple films. So... No, you're wrong. <laughs> wrong. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a fun thing. The the fandom runs hard in these veins. 
So let's start with, uh, I, I don't have a lot of these that I have not seen, um, but I want to start with one that I have not seen. It might be one that you have seen. I saw the original. This is a sequel. Uh, the original film was a self-contained film based on the original graphic novel. It did everything it needed to do to finish the story. So they say, why don't we make a sequel? And we'll come up with something. It, it'll work. It'll be fine. But it was based off of the Thracian Wars uh, graphic novel, uh, 300 Rise of an Empire. Um, yeah, this is this is Miller, Miller goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um. Not Zack Snyder goodness, so well, yeah. maybe it has potential. I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen this whole movie or this movie as a whole. I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of it, but never really wanted to sit down enough to watch this movie, considering I don't like the original one. Well, so. and it, Snyder didn't direct it. He wrote the screenplay. Correct. So, I mean, the director uh, was Noam Murrow. And uh, he is, he doesn't have a lot of credits. He's got a handful here and there. Um, but yeah, so just that on its own was not enough for me to care one way or the other. But I like the original and the 300 film. And so I was like, oh, I got to give this a try. And then I just never did. Uh, <laughs> never got around to it. Um, yeah. And, and if this pops up on a streaming service, I'll look at it and be like, meh. Now, the casting is still good. They got several people back from the original film. They got uh, Lena back from the original film. David Wenham, they got back, who I love him in pretty much anything. Um, they got uh, Peter Mensa uh, again, which he had a very small part in the previous film. <laughs> True. Don't, don't look down. Um, but they also brought in Eva Green, who I just adore. I love Eva Green in pretty much anything. She, uh, uh, beyond the fact that she is incredibly talented and beautiful, um, she just has this accent. I love, I love a good accent, and she's got a great voice for any sort of film. And I think that she would just be perfect for voiceover work and a bunch of stuff. And yeah, she's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, watched her. In numerous things, uh, she was in a series that was on Showtime, I do believe, Penny Dreadful. Yeah, uh, which was actually pretty fun. I, I enjoyed that series, and she was pretty much the star of of that series. Great in that, Beth Berlin and Casino Royale. Yes, I loved the Bond movies, and of course, so she was a Bond girl and one of the in. Uh, the new series of Bond movies, the the Daniel Craig movies. So she was like the first Bond girl in the Daniel yeah. Craig ones. Yeah, and that was a that was a fun film. I had so much fun with that one. That's that was kind of my first really eye opening to to her performance. Like, oh, she's she's really good. She kind of you know you want to think it's like okay, Daniel Craig is the center, but when she was in a scene with him, it's like oh, I kind of want to watch her more than I want to watch Daniel Craig, which is that's impressive because. I love Daniel Craig, and so it's just that's that was awesome. So yeah, small thing. Uh, I will eventually watch this film. I assume that it will be probably comparable to the previous one. Lots of action, minimal plot. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just what it is. The the main protagonist, I guess. I I, I guess he's the protagonist. I, don't know, I haven't seen it. Uh, Sullivan Stapleton. He's mm -hmm. in a. There is a series that's on. Mm, I think it's Cinemax called Strike Back. 
and that's pretty good. I've seen a couple seasons of that, and he's pretty solid in that. So I assume he does a good job in this too because he's done good in some other things, but who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll get back to you on that one. Uh, but considering we started with kind of a, a Miller-style uh, property because, I mean... That essentially is what this is. The The graphic novel was a Frank Miller graphic novel, so they wanted to kind of be faithful in the way that they brought it to the film and have that same kind of feel because it works so well for Sin City. Well, in 2014, we got the sequel to Sin City, Sin City, uh, A Dame to Kill For. Um, another Frank Miller. Now, he got a director credit, uh, but he did this with uh, Robert Rodriguez as well. Um and uh, I like me some Robert Rodriguez. Um, to that point, um, most people don't think much of cheesy kid films, right? But he did Spy Kids, and I wanted to hate that film series so much. And I didn't. <laughs> it was actually kind of fun. It's like, how is this even possible? This should be awful. And it's not. <laughs> well, I think the thing about Robert Rodriguez is when what he first came on the scene, he he did the like the El Mariachi yeah. kind of sequence of things on like no budget. And the movies were awesome he got antonio banderas the star and like he just desperado he had did he did desperado which is its own cheesy awesomeness right but really a lot of the properties that he has done he has done pretty well yeah Uh, I, i i feel like he's got um he's got a good partnership with uh with a lot of the people in hollywood and maybe people that were he his idols as he grew up kind of brought him into the fold a little bit more as well. So he's just got a lot of exposure, a lot of experience. He, he did an episode of the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. He's done. If you look at his credits, he's like got so many things. Yeah. And you're right. There's kids ones thrown in there too that he did awesome, and he got like all his friends to kind of come and do parts throughout. Yeah. So it's he's pretty talented. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very impressive. Um, mix that with the fact that they got pretty much everybody back from the previous uh, films uh, that they needed to for, for some of the major characters, and then just got more people. Uh, I mean, they, they got uh, Christopher Maloney, who I love, Ray Liotta is awesome, Jeremy Piven, Christopher Lloyd. I mean, seriously, Powers Booth, the one of the great actors that's in just a ton of comic book related stuff uh i just man uh i it it blows me away the star-studded cast that this thing had now what is your thought on this movie i have not seen it i liked it um it's not as good as the first one uh happens a lot with sequels but it's different. I mean, the source. I think the big thing is the source material is different. In the original, like we were talking about 300 before, what's the purpose of 300? Is it to tell an intricate story? No. Is it to tell something where there's a great deal of character development and growth? No. It's to show shirtless guys beating a snot out of each other with spears and shields. 
it, that is the only reason it's there. It's It's got like one or two twists and that's about it. That's it, nothing to it. But the Sin City is meant to be an homage to noir. And that is what it is. It is 100%. A, we don't get a lot of good noir anymore. So seeing that in a graphic novel form, it was gorgeous. And then seeing it translated in essentially black and white, though not technically black and white because there are splashes of color. Um, having that stylized presentation that can that can add that extra little polish to any film that it's on, combining that with just some really fun, gritty uh, pulp novel kind of writing. It's still not it's not Shakespeare, but it's solid storytelling and some fun character stuff. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, uh, I think in the first one, all those elements plus just the killer, killer cast yeah. made that one successful. And you never saw anything like it at it, it at the time that it came out. You never saw really anything that was put together like it, that had the presence like it. So eh, I saw a couple movies try. <laughs> try. <laughs> but fail. And then this one comes out and it, it looked like it looked like it would have been okay, but I feel like this thing just bombed. Oh, like, it was not a commercial success to my memory. Yeah. Which pretty much prevents it from from, from them ever making any more of it. That's right. for sure. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like Scott Pilgrim was not a commercial success, but it ended up getting just a massive fan following after the fact so much so that they're going to be re-releasing it into theaters 10 years after it came out that's crazy so some films can still get that success after fact i don't know if this was one of them i haven't heard much about it um i hear a lot of people talking about the original and how much they liked it. i don't really see that kind of love shown to the to the sequel but it's the still sequel, fun yeah it's always hard to make the sequel better than the original, especially yeah. when the original was so awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to improve on that. But uh, but yeah, with that kind of a cast, I mean, George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Josh Brolin and Jessica Alba and Rosario Dawson and Bruce Willis and, geez, oh, Pete! <laughs> oh, look, Eva Green again. Yeah. Well, she makes most things better. Um. But yeah, so yeah, it, if if you got an extra time to kill and you like that kind of noir and and it, you you find that to be fun, it's worth a watch, I think. Um, but let's go into more superhero e fare in terms of the comic book movies. We're going to jump over to the the Sony owned Marvel side uh, and the final iteration of uh, their attempt at a Spider Man reboot. They had already done the original Tobey Maguire trilogy. They had rebooted it to the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man. They released the sequel to it in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 in 2014. Um, I didn't see this one. <laughs> oh, okay. I, 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 I wasn't really interested. <laughs> well, I, 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 th I think in this one there's a few key elements that make this one look appealing really so if you're a spider-man you're a spider-man well i said look <laughs> uh there there's 
the classic lineup of Spider-Man villains, right? Yeah. And in the Tobey Maguire one, we saw a run of a lot of villains. And, and I'm well, I'm no comic book expert, but I think the Hobgoblin is. I mean, the the Green Goblin, the Hobgoblin, like those characters are big time villains. Yeah, they're key. You know, Venom is a is a big time character in the Spider-Man you know universe. Doctor Octopus, of course. Yeah. And there's so many awesome ones that are in there. Okay, so the first one in the Amazing Spider-Man, they did the lizard. Yeah, that was cool. Cool, awesome. Okay, so so they didn't do they didn't do any of the the ones that we've already seen, right? Oh, great. Let's let's continue that. So in this one, then we get Electro. Okay, Electro's a fun character. Yeah. And oh, you got Jamie Foxx to play Electro. Okay. Okay. He's okay. generally awesome in a lot of stuff. And it just—it was okay, and that—and that's—that—that's the thing. Like when you look at this, it should be better. Andrew Garfield is not a bad Peter Parker, not a bad Spider-Man. Emma Stone's fine as Gwen Stacy. Jamie Foxx is fine as Electro. I—I mm. I just think you get a lot of that. It's okay. It's not bad. I don't think it's. I don't think it's bad. It's just you want these property Spider-Man properties because for a lot of folks, this is the character that you love, right? And it, he's got so many, so many just avenues, alleys that you can go for bad guys. Right. And we we want to see a Sinister Six thing, right? Yes. And it, it, there, there's always just this letdown that doesn't produce what you want to see. Yeah. His, his rogues gallery is pretty massive and there are so many good ones to go with. I mean, he literally has like 30 different really good villains that you could put in there and they'd all be good. And they've been great over the years, but I'll tell you exactly why I didn't have a lot of faith in this film. Now I got past the fact that if you look at the director before he did the amazing Spider-Man films, it's like music videos and that's it. <laughs> which is usually for me a bad sign. If it's going from music video to major motion picture, that makes me a little nervous. Uh, well, are... hey, he did an, Evanes an Evanescence one. <laughs> it's, it's a different beast. Um, well, he also did Miley Cyrus and Nelly and Maroon 5. And, yeah, and, and there's, yeah. that's not a knock on doing, um, on doing music videos because music videos are awesome, and I love a good music video, but putting together a three to five minute music video compared to a two hour movie based on a major uh, comic book icon. That's a big step. Yeah. That's um, a big, yeah. So that, that made me a little nervous. Now I felt a little bit better after the first amazing Spider-Man. It wasn't, wasn't awesome, but I thought it was okay. Uh, so I, I, I got a little more confidence, but the cast is good. I love Paul Giamatti. Uh, he's one of my favorites. I love seeing him in anything. Um, and like I said, I really love Jamie Foxx. I like Andrew Garfield. And Emma Stone's generally pretty solid too. But the thing that got me to just look at it and go, I have no interest in this film. There were three things. In order for it to work for me, you either need to do one of two things. If you're going to be presenting this, you're either going to be presenting it in the classic way. Like I'm trying to be true 
to the comic book. So the way I'm going to present the villains is basically with some minor tweaks because some comic book things can't be done on the screen in the right way, but basically presenting them as they are in the comic books. Or I'm going to reinterpret them in an intriguing way. So in the original Spider-Man trilogy, they went the try and be true to the comic books. They basically presented things the way that they were with the exception of casting of Eddie Brock. Um, <laughs> but in this, they it's like, well, let's reinvent the wheel. Let's make Electro, who looks preposterous in the comic books. There is no way his outfit could work on a movie. Just no. A giant a lightning star, star on his face. No, that does not translate well. So we have to reinvent that. Yes, you're absolutely right. What are we going to do? Let's make it blue. Uh, okay. Sure. That's odd and not better. But, you know, if that's the only thing. Well, no, we're also going to make uh, the goblin look like he's got a skin disease. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, that's also not great. But at least, hey, Paul Giamatti, is, he's going to be who? He's going to be Rhino. Rhino's like a big dude. Paul Giamatti is not a big dude. That's going to take a lot of CGI. But maybe they can make it. He's a what? He's in a, he's in a mech suit. What? Okay. I'm done. No longer interested. Yes. So that that was the one that tipped the cap in the complete wrong way was, hey, Rhino's a cool character. He doesn't do much. No. But he's like a classic villain. Big, strong, part of the Sinister Six. And you put him in a a mechanized suit with machine guns. <laughs> I mean, come on, man, for real. And maybe it was at the end of the movie. It wasn't a main plot point of the movie. It was like an after credits scene or end of the movie scene or what, whatever. So it didn't have anything to do with the movie. So maybe if their plan was like, he does this, he gets in this suit, Spider-Man beats him up. Then in a subsequent movie, something happens and he goes into an actual, he, he, he gets his powers and put him in an actual bigger rhino suit, whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this was just him doing something that was going to lead into something else. Yeah, it's just disappointing. Who knows? Because there was nothing else after this because well, that was so dumb. For me, I liked the Rhino character because there was a there was an interesting twist with that character in the comics that if you're going to put him in a mech suit, it's just ruined. Did you, do you, are you familiar with the comic variant? Um, doesn't he have some, he, he wasn't a mutant, right? No. He was mutated. No, like, the suit gave him his abilities. Oh, okay. When he put it on, he couldn't take it off. He was stuck forever. That was the interesting twist that you could take this. Like, so either now that I'm a criminal and I've done this thing because the person that gave me the suit hi, you know, hired me to be the thug and I can't be anything else now. I'm stuck. And he's not very smart. Uh, to boot. So, I mean, it's, it it had some meat to work with. And 
Well, let's make him. Let's make him a mechanical. Now, just just stop. Just stop. Uh, yeah, the whole the whole movie, especially in in the the Green Goblin character. Yeah, it like he they literally turned him into a goblin. Yeah, that it wasn't was... like he had an outfit on. He was turned into a goblin, which I. <laughs> <laughs> whatever the movie like so the movie itself was okay but you're we, we've said this and i've said it many a times the the key to a great movie the key to a strong movie like these is good villains yeah and unfortunately they were a letdown in this movie and you know what a key to a good podcast is it's following us on social media where you can find us at real What's pudding up? guys on uh, on Twitter and of course at Pudding Guys on Instagram, where you can see those <laughs> those uh, grass cutting photos, uh, and of course also on Facebook, where I swear I post occasionally. I don't do a lot on Facebook. Uh, that will be changing. A lot of our time has been focused on on certain things that um, are going to be neat when they're finished, but it's intensive in working on. And of course, we're on Patreon. One dollar per month can help support the Pudding Guys as we bring you new episodes, as we bring you new interviews, as we bring new equipment to do those interviews in, too. We appreciate your support. Well, let's move on to Fox. Not, not Jamie. Not Jamie Fox. <laughs> but, uh, but the X-Men Days of Future Past 2014. Keeping on, keeping on. Um. You know, it just occurs to me, there is something about this X-Men series that started back with the X-Men in 2000 um, and now linked with Days of Future Past because they did this. As much as I had problems with some of these films, they did pay homage to the X-Men in one brilliantly meta way. The X-Men timeline in the comics is royally screwed up. It is really hard to know exactly what happened when and with all the time travel and alternate timelines and weird reboots and unclear history, <laughs> you don't quite know where things are going. So having the, the movies kind of simulate that was a, a great homage because things yeah. don't quite make sense. Yeah, this was, uh, from, from what I understand how this works, is their their delivery method to send Logan back or whatever was they, they did something in the actual comic book for this, for this thing. It wasn't, it wasn't Kitty pride that had those powers. It was no. somebody else. And they sent, who did they send back? Kitty pride was the one that was sent back in the comics. Was, was sent back. Okay. Mm -hmm. And someone else had the powers that, I, I think it that. was Forge created something, if I remember correctly. It's been a little while, so I might be a little little off on that one. Forge sounds right. Okay. But I, I think in terms of how it fit in, in the actual movies, it was cool. Although, still, why, why Kitty Pride? Why did she have these powers? The, where did where did she develop her powers from? The phasing powers. Yeah, but that, but where did she get the other powers to do the stuff for her? Oh, right. Yeah, her mind or whatever, or whatever they did. It's that was an interesting little piece that just like was like, 
okay, you had to have it a plot tool somehow, and then you just threw it in there. Yeah. You know, there are some, there are some weird things here and there. Um, but they did have a great cast. I mean, they got returning uh, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, who has notoriously been shown to not have liked being Raven towards the end of the, the series of films. Mm-hmm. And who can blame her if you have to be covered in prosthetics and blue uh, paint <laughs> for a good chunk of any film? That's got to be miserable. Um, but uh, yeah, it's the, and they bring the two casts together. And Peter Dinklage, the fantastic Peter Dinklage. God, I love that guy. Um, Dr. Trask. Yeah, I mean... Uh, he is not who I would have expected to be cast as Dr. Trask, though. Yeah, okay. Uh, cast him as anything. I'm perfectly fine with that. He's he's great. Um, Actually, on my on my phone for my my profile, the the thing that identifies me besides my name and whatever, you can have a picture, and most people put a picture of themselves, and that's what it is. My picture that identifies me is a picture from this movie of him. It's just his head. He's got his glasses on. He's got the mustache on. And he's just kind of looking upwards to nothing. <laughs> and that's my picture. That's my profile picture and has been for years now. So yep. I just think it's incredibly funny uh, because of the, the photo with the, with the mustache and the glasses. is just really funny. It's a little cheesy, uh, but it's great. Yes. But I, I love Peter Dinklage. He's cool. He's cool in my book. He does good stuff. Um, the plot on this film makes little to no sense. The film is okay if you just kind of want to watch some action sequences and mutants doing stuff and seeing Hugh Jackman be Wolverine again, which, yeah, okay. I'm, I'll am i sign up for that pretty much anytime. Even a bad Wolverine film, <clears throat> Origins, uh, is still worth watching <laughs> and having yes. some fun with. Um, and, and you did get a, a presentation of a few more x-men characters you 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 never really got to see a colossus character in the past like a no. for reals one right you gotta see a little bit of that in this movie um bishop which is one of my favorite characters in the x-men family was presented in here but kind of i mean nothing too spectacular yeah Warpath, a couple other uh sunspot evan peters but- as quicksilver so he did great, and that the the scenes with him were probably the scene stealers in the film. the 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 way that they did the slow mo for his his movement is maybe the only instance where the Fox properties for Quicksilver did better than the MCU. <laughs> yes, yeah, that is that's actually true. Uh, that was one of the more enjoyable scenes. Because it it had an original twist to it. It had the music. It had the, I don't know. It was good. It was really fun. And uh, they also had, uh, as Blink, they had Bing Bing Fan. And I only bring that up because that's maybe one of my favorite names to say. How can you not have a smile on your face when you say Bing Bing Fan? Bing Bing Fan. Yeah, that's, uh, the Blink character's fun. I thought they didn't do much with it. Um but yeah, I mean, as as a movie goes, if again, if you want to waste a couple hours, yeah, it's it's fun. Probably not something they're going to watch over and over again, but uh, it's it's good enough. But 
that's uh, that's the end. I think that's all I've got to say about the the Fox side of things before we get into the awesome awesomeness that is uh, the MCU side. Now I want to start with something that's just very brief because we don't have to talk much about it. It's just a one shot. It's not a full movie, but 2014 was when All Hail the King uh, came out, where we get to see what happens to um, uh, Trevor Slattery after Iron Man three. Uh, his life in prison and his eventual busting out uh, by uh, individuals working for the actual Mandarin who were not particularly pleased with his portrayal. Um, so I, it's a fun little thing. It, it was well done. I enjoyed it. Yep. And hopefully we'll get to see more of the actual Mandarin coming up here later this year. Shang-Chi, man. Because so it's this is 2014 and this is 2021. So like we've been waiting, we've been waiting for the actual Mandarin character probably since the original Iron Man came out. Because mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, the bad guys that held him captive were the Ten Rings. That's right. right. That's right. They so, they hinted that early. Yeah. So this whole time we've and, been waiting for the Mandarin. Well, Iron Man doesn't have a rogues gallery like a lot of the other characters. It's very limited. There's only a handful. And a lot of them are kind of lame. I mean, Stilt Man, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, Titanium Man, um, Crimson Dynamo. I'm going to say these, Crimson. nobody knows these characters for the most part because they're they're nothing. They're almost throwaway characters. The what's, old, the, what's the guy that does the... Uh... He's like a tornado, and he's got razor or saw blades on his. Oh yeah, so. that's. Um, oh no, I'm having. He's in the cartoon, right? Um, I'm having. I met. It's got a dome for a head. It's. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, I can't. Like, how 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 would you present that character on film anyway? That is. Uh, that is. Uh, that is a good question. I'm not one hundred percent sure. Um. I'm just, I am just spacing. But if we, while you're looking that up, uh, you know, if we think about the Iron Man cartoon, right, that was really kind of cheesy from, what was that, the the 90s? Yeah. It featured three, basically uh, two, two main antagonists. And that was the Mandarin and MODOK. And MODOK was kind of his little servant, but wanted power, but didn't. And then they had a few other, like, a cast of bad guys that were, like, the, the people that went out and did stuff. But you're, you're right. That small group of bad guys for Iron Man is about it. Yeah. Whirlwind. Really saw the whirlwind. Yes. There you go. That's why I thought Tornado was like, no, that's close, but it's not quite right. So you've got what the Iron Ironmonger, and you got Whiplash, and well, an Ironmonger really isn't a, a villain that lasted very long. He ended up killing himself in the comics really early on, so he was he was there for a snap, and that's about it. <gasps> Pun. So, but so uh, yes, I'm I'm hoping that the Ten Rings will actually produce something for us. Yeah, me too. This year, but 2014 had a, maybe two of, if not the best. MCU films, uh, top 10 easy. Um, uh, I, I have talked about each of these in the past. I know we both have, um, but, uh, yeah, 
Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, we'll get in that one first. Um, who would have thought that Marvel would have chosen this particular comic book property to turn into a film? A. B. Choose the wrong set of heroes to put into it and then still make it awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> it, it was a means, I feel like, to get them into someplace besides Earth and besides Asgard, right? So right. get them rolling out into other other areas to bring other things into place. And I think I saw on Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, they had an episode in which the Guardians of the Galaxy came. And of course, Star-Lord was there. But you had like Adam Warlock was there, Quasar was there, Groot, Rocket, and I think one other person that's not in this particular collection right. of of quote heroes in here. So that was the only only means that I had been introduced to the Guardians of the Galaxy prior to the movies was from that cartoon. Well, the Guardians of the Galaxy originally, since we've never really talked about this, this team, uh, appeared in 1969 in Marvel Superheroes. Uh, the original story was done by Gene Colan and Arnold Drake uh, was the writer on that. And it was a significantly different team. Um, and that's kind of one of the interesting things about the Guardians of the Galaxy. There are so many iterations of that particular group there there's going to be something different for everybody that's a comic book fan that they identify as that group um but you know nobody's necessarily uh wrong about that you know um but for me the guardians of the galaxy is is basically the original there are basically two teams that I kind of look at. There's the kind of lamer team that I didn't like as much. And then the one that they released later. So the original team was like, okay, so, so you got to see in the movie, um, uh, that, uh, Peter Quill is kind of sort of running, uh, away from, um, away from, uh, the original gang that he was, that he was with. Right. Um, yeah. uh, Yondu being the, the leader of that particular pack of Ravagers. Well, Yondu was one of the characters that was in the original Guardians of the Galaxy. It was a set of heroes that were in the future. It was a, a potential alternate future timeline. Um, and it had a, a, a slightly different uh, cast. In fact, when, you, when we go into the uh, second film, and of course, Spoiler alert for anybody that, that has it. When you see Yondu die, um, he all the other Ravagers show up. Well, a bunch of the people that you see were members of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, the crystalline entity that you see on one of the ships. That was one of the characters. That was one of the original members, the big beefy guy. That was one of the members. And then eventually, like in the comics, you got somebody with psionic powers that claimed Captain America's shield because, you know, he wasn't alive anymore and didn't need it. Uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, you know, that's the original Guardians, and I can see why they wouldn't want to do that because it would be hard to translate. But there was the, the newer Guardians of the galaxy. It was basically Adam Warlock 
and it was Drax the Destroyer. Not that version, but like the big, kind of almost Hulk-sized flying Drax the Destroyer. It was, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, it was comprised uh, of uh, Gamora still, so she was still a member of it, uh, but it had Pip the Troll as a member. Uh, and, you know, it's like I thought, man, Peter Dinklage would have been perfect as Pip the Troll because I've seen him do that kind of a character before, and Pip the Troll is one of my favorites. He is so, so much fun. Um, and, you know, just having those characters together, you got Moon Dragon, who is the daughter of Drax, which they just completely dropped that storyline for the MCU for whatever reason. Maybe they don't want, a, uh, I thought at first, maybe they don't want a bald woman. Then I saw they put Nebula in there. She didn't have any hair. So, okay, it wasn't that. Uh, I didn't know quite what they were doing with that. So, I mean, that's that kind of core grouping for me that is the Guardians of the Galaxy because they each had one of the Infinity Stones so that nobody could make the gauntlet again. So, I mean, that, yeah, they called it the Infinity Watch, which was another name for it. Um, so, I mean, to me, in my mind, that's kind of what I saw. And there were people that will debate me on that one for sure, saying that was the Infinity Watch. It wasn't the Guardians of the Galaxy. Call it what you will. It was the Guardians of the Galaxy. It was just a new interpretation of it. Um, but that was that was how I saw it, so... But I tell you what, this film was so much fun. Well, I think the introduction where you see him kind of get taken away and we figure out a little bit more why in the second version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. And you get an introduction kind of of the Ravagers, right? You, you get it, it revolves a lot in, in a certain sense around the, the Star-Lord, the Peter Quill character. Um, and, of course, the Yondu character in here is really cool. Uh, now, in the comic books, it's he's a it's, a... it's a bow, right? Yes. Yeah, so... This a little different. In interpretation of it is is cool. That's kind of awesome, right? with, yeah. With him controlling it, and really, he's super powerful and very good at it right so that yeah. that's what makes it really cool but like that presentation of that character in this movie i think was really really cool and one of the things that kind of stands out in terms of seeing all the different characters and you get um this presentation of a greater movie with the soundtrack playing and like the excitement level like it's, it just has a whole different feel to it than your traditional Marvel movie had been up to that point. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why this movie kind of stood out was it was refreshing. The characters were fun. There was the right amount of humor to it. There was definitely the right amount of action to it. Um, there's a person was taser face in this one. I think taser taser face was in the second one, second one. So I was gonna say there, there's like all those interesting characters that are presented to you in this i don't know it just hit all the right notes at the right time i feel like yeah i, I definitely agree with that and uh and the, even though it's maybe not the group of people that i put together the group of characters it it definitely works the uh they they got groot 100 percent right which is amazing 
the Rocket character was extremely faithful to the comics and did a good job. A lot of times Gamora would be a hard thing to translate, and I think they did fantastic. The biggest win for me is in the comics, Peter Quill was boring. I mean, he was never written well, in my estimation. I, I just could never get behind the character. The closest that I could get was uh, when uh, when Annihilist, the the Annihilist wave came through, and he was kind of the kind of the general holding things off. He got a little more interesting at that point, but just generally, he's like, oh, I don't care about this character at all. But the way he's written in the film, he's extremely relatable and funny and good. And it's just like, man, that's that's amazing. They 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 know what they're doing in putting this together. And uh, anytime you can sneak Lee Pace into a film, definitely do it because he is fantastic. Uh, yeah, a little hidden, of course, because he's covered in makeup and a big head wear thingy, I guess you could say. And, and you get your you get some your your Cree introduction in right. here, which leads to its own thing later on, which could lead to even more things later on. And I feel like the the Ronin character, there could have been a lot more going on. Yeah, definitely. So you didn't. That's one thing that I I wish the all the bad guys didn't. You know, just always get I, killed. Yes. Yeah, that's it's really frustrating, especially since the Ronin character in the comics doesn't stay a villain. Uh, they just made him fanatical in this, and he was that way at first. But his character changed over the years, and eventually, it's not so much that he's fanatical; it's just that he is he is about protecting the Cree. He is he is going to maintain the Empire in the sense that it's not so much he. Uh, it's less about the empire itself, but the people in the empire. He's like the ultimate cop for for that sort of thing. So if it's between a Cree and anybody else, well, you know, you're out of luck. I'm going to squish you. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it, you can you can work with that because you had like the Super Scroll was the Scroll variant of the same thing. It was all about the Scroll Empire. He is going to protect his people no matter what. Uh, there's some really fun things they did down down the road with the comics. They brought them together in this like short-lived thing called the Annihilators, which was it was such a stupidly powerful team, where you've got Ronan on it, and he's the second least powerful member of the group. <laughs> They've got this other character that nobody knows as basically a space knight, uh, but uh, him and Super Scroll and Beta Ray Bill. And Gladiator from the Shar Empire and Quasar and Silver Surfer. <laughs> it is it's them. It's like there's basically nothing. They can't just nuke. Uh yeah, that was fun. Well Gladiator's basically like the Superman plus of yeah. the Marvel Universe. Well, one of them. There's about seven different Superman uh, amalgams in the Marvel Universe. Uh, I'll have to go over that in a different episode at some point, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so this fun, this was, it, it was obvious this was going to have a sequel. It was too good not to have a sequel. And then of course we, because of it, we got baby Groot, which just was a, re 
ridiculously popular bit of merchandising um, that uh, that they came up with. And then Disney goes, oh, yeah, we could probably do that again. What else can we make a baby and everybody will love it? Uh, I wonder. <sighs> uh, he he has a name. It's Grogu. <laughs> but uh, all right. Well, let's finish out the year strong. We got one more title from 2014 going into Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the first sequel to the Captain America franchise. Some people thinking it's a lot more like uh, uh, a spy thriller than anything else and i would have to agree with that it stands on its own i mean it, it's it's sort of a superhero film but the people with abilities in this are not like godlike levels of power they're all much more grounded and it makes it more relatable and it has a lot more see the the, the thing about it, it has a lot more to do with the the falcon and winter soldier episodes that yeah. everybody got to watch here recently too so this is this is good to talk about this to rehash some of those moments or rehash some of those characters as seen maybe through the eyes of someone if you haven't watched this movie in a while but you watched falcon and winter soldier then this i mean obviously this had a lot to do with the setup and the pieces and the players in that tv series right and you know i the the falcon character is in the comic book interesting right sometimes the 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 outfit the uniform is interesting oh, if you're talking about that that 70s disco bird outfit yeah that who didn't age real well yep and then he had a a sidekick it was an actual an actual falcon because falcon. that's what's supposed to happen it was it was the silver age man of course he did yeah so to be able to translate a character like that and have it be impactful and productive i think just speaks to the power of the minds of the people writing and setting up this universe and it, it was nice to see Everything at S.H.I.E.L.D. just, you know, go away. <laughs> it's not what so, you think it is. Yeah, and, and it, it shows that Hydra is still alive and kicking and powerful. So, like, there was a lot of really good elements in this. And you're absolutely right. This wasn't about your traditional superhero Right. No. This wasn't about people flying around or having magic or doing whatever. It was really just about soldiering with a couple super soldiers. Yeah. It it of course they had returning actors uh coming back for the parts, but um in addition to that, they uh the Russos I think really understand the source material and how it relates to the, the current day viewer. And they're able to give some depth to characters that maybe don't get that same level of depth. Kind of talking about Falcon is, is a great starting point. Now for me, I may have a different experience with the, the character than others might. I mean, being uh, Caucasian, uh, there is a plethora of heroes 
uh, that reflect my own, you know, particular skin tone. There's not a lot. There are not as many strong black characters in the comics. At least there weren't. There, there's more. They're, they're coming. Uh, and, and they've been getting better. But the biggest thing for that, the Falcon character for me in the comics was always flat because I, I don't think it was always written by people that understood how that character would truly be in the world that he was in at that time and how he would react. And they, they definitely fleshed him out sometimes better over the years, but not always uh, what I, uh, not always what I hoped for. Now I've, it's been brought to my attention that there are certain runs of the character that I, I haven't, I haven't seen where they said that they did a fantastic job and I have to go read it. But I don't know if this reflects those runs in the comics, but comparing it to the runs that I'm familiar with, they have so much more depth for for the for the Sam Wilson character. He's so relatable and has a similar moral inner strength that you want an icon to have, kind of like the the Steve Rogers character has. And I it's more, it's more personal. So whereas Steve Rogers is trying to be the iconic symbol, uh, Sam Wilson is trying to make a more direct impact uh, on a on a one to one basis. And I loved that about his, the presentation of his character in the film. And the fact that he has no, he he truly has no powers, right? He's just a yeah. dude. He's just like. Black Widow is just like um, Hawkeye. Hawkeye, yeah, there you go. Drawing black. But anyway, <laughs> he's, he's just a dude. And when you see him in these battles with other characters that aren't just dudes, I mean, it, it, it shows, and, and, even, and even what he's got, the fact that these were just like prototype wings right yeah so that was that that was a good little bit of transition too from the fact that he just had wings to okay well these are actually like deployable wings with a little jet pack on the back and he's got training on them so he can actually fly and maneuver them really well and of course that evolves then later on as we see uh, in terms of the technology piece associated with it but in, in if you think about it in this movie when he's fighting all the bad guys and you know, there's all these ships flying around trying to shoot him. It's just a dude with deployable wings. <laughs> and, and I don't think that that gets pressed upon enough. Like if you look at it, if you look at in, in a, a movie, for example, this is before the like age of Ultron, when you have a couple characters fighting all these robots and fighting an Ultron character, like they're just, regular dudes out there yeah. fighting these things. So to put those, to put that in perspective a little bit, I think is, is an interesting mix. And, and it goes back to what we said before on this movie, where it's just Captain America in this presentation is fun. He's a good character. He's strong. He's likable. Uh, the winter soldier aspect of it, if you didn't know anything about the character and you're watching this movie and he takes off his mask and you're, you're like, Oh my gosh, it's mm -hmm. Bucky. Yeah. Like to you, that would have been a great big surprise. 
But as soon as you saw Bucky fall off the train, you're like, well, when are they going to do the Winter Soldier? Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's the first thing that came to my mind is, okay, so they did this presentation. He's he's gone. When, is it, when are they going to do the Winter Soldier? So it was great to see that turnaround. Great to see another, you know, super soldier running around. Yeah. And then, of course, they dig into it later on how he got his uh, mind just kind of destroyed and how he is commanded and how he's affected things all throughout human American history is just a really cool aspect of the character, I think. Yeah. And it, it was, it was nice to see them kind of come full circle with it and have the presentation and like, when I, I, I think I remember watching it with my wife and she had that reaction because she didn't she didn't know the comic book source material. And and I, I was like, yeah, she's she's like, is that is that I was like, yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Well, you knew that I was like, yeah, but to her, it was like a great big surprise. <laughs> so she was really that that excited. So that just that just brings more people into this world into this movie okay. by having that great twist that if you weren't familiar with the source now you saw it was pretty fun yeah this is definitely the case and the the other thing just thinking about the combat scenes that scene on the elevator i don't know too many combat scenes that i like as much as i like that elevator fight it's just filming a a close uh sequence like that where there's not much room to maneuver and there are just tons of people that should just that shouldn't generally work it's just it's not going to translate well but it was so good and just the the lead up to it and the little the little comment anybody want to get off <laughs> yeah just, uh it just yeah that whole thing was awesome and the fact that it had ripple effects into the agents of shield show that they were running at the same time. Uh, it, it resulted in a character turning villain. That was one of my son's favorite characters and it made him so mad because <laughs> it always happens. If he likes a character, it's either going to turn evil or it's going to die. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable pretty much every single time. Yeah, that character ran the gamut of going bad and dying and going to the moon. And, and, and <laughs> Yeah, that was good. But the one thing I think they really, they really failed on, and it wasn't in this movie, is that they, they gave you the introduction to the normal character be, before he became Crossbones. Yeah. And that was, he was good in this film. Yes. And then in the next movie, they just get rid of him. Come on, man. <laughs> it made me so mad. He's such a great mercenary. Well, he did that with Claw, too, which uh, we'll get to some other time. I, I have different problems with that one. But yeah, Crossbones is, is an awesome villain because he's not, he's not jet black. He's strongly gray. Uh, <laughs> He's amoral, maybe the best way to, to describe him. Uh, not not evil so much as just um, mercenary through and through. Um, it's, yeah, 
and and he brought that he he brought that to life. The writing brought that to life. Oh man, I was so mad about that. <laughs> yeah, well, when you kill off all the bad guys, you know it is what it is. Yeah, Frank Grillo was a great choice for that character, though. Uh, just man, yeah. So if you haven't seen this, and Robert Redford, I mean, again, if you want to make a movie better, put Robert Redford in it, and he was great. Did exactly what he needed to do. Um, yeah, I, I just don't have enough positive things that I can say about this film. It's just so fantastic all around. Yeah, that that was more of the plot line that had the twist at the that you could see coming, but you were more like, oh, okay, mm-hmm, all right. You know, like there was it was nice that you had the the twists and the turns. And then at the very end, you had some redemption, you know, and question marks on what the future was going to be like. So it had a little bit of everything. And this movie right here, if you if you if you don't think about it, this movie right here is what made all the other things happen afterwards. Right. Because this if this was the Russo brothers, it was successful. It was a strong movie. One of the favorites in the MCU. So they gave him another chance to develop another Captain America movie, right? Yeah. And then that movie was so <laughs> big budget. They took it from what it was going to be. They blew up the budget. They added more people on it. They made the movie just ridiculous. Okay. Well, that gave him the key to do the Infinity War and Endgame, right? So yeah. this movie right here was the key to many more big moments behind the scenes in front of the scenes, whatever, for the movies in the future, too. Yeah, definitely. But we'd love to get your opinions, good pudding listeners. Don't forget to let us know what you think on any of our social media avenues or some of these movies your favorites or was our first half uh, more loaded with individual films that you preferred. Did we forget anything? I don't think that we did. But uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, we would definitely love to hear from you. Now, next week is going to be a really fun week. We have a special guest for the episode. Um, and we are really looking forward to you hearing what that is. And then in a couple of weeks will be our final episode of this third season. So definitely keep things, uh, definitely keep things uh, in mind that they're going to be really cool. Um, uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, coming to America next week, uh, reviewing it with, uh, uh, help from one Mike who also has a podcast on movie reviews. And then in the following week, we will be talking with actor Mark Pellegrino who played Lucifer on Supernatural. So stay tuned. Really cool stuff. And we will see you next week. 